Welcome to Your Music Saved Us, where two friends blast ourselves into the past to relive and recontextualize the alternative Christian music we grew up listening to in the 1990s. My name is Clifton, and joining me today, of course, is Jay. How you doing, Jay? I'm good, Clifton. Really excited to be here. Happy about our guest. Yeah. It's going to be fun. We got a special guest today. Um, this episode is supposed to be our, our, our DC Talk Free at Last episode, but we need a little more time to work on that. So we have a special guest today. Uh, joining us is Alex Parker of uh, Flying Tart. Alex, how are you doing? I'm doing good. Thanks, guys. Thanks yeah. for having me on. You want to do a little uh, introduction of yourself, uh before we get into things? Uh, sure, yeah. Uh, my name is Alex Parker. Uh, the, the things you might be interested in is I worked for REX around 1992, 93, 94, and then I started Flying Tart Records in 1996. Wikipedia and Discog say that you started Flying Tart in 1990. Are they just wrong? Uh, yeah, that's, uh, that's not correct. I think my first <laughs> single came out, uh, I want to say 96? Um, yeah, right about there. Yeah. Actually, my first official, what I consider my first official Flying Tart release would be um, the Steve Taylor tribute that I did for REX, because I actually credited myself under yeah. a pseudonym for <laughs> Flying Tart. <laughs> so, yeah. Oh, cool. And now I'm looking at Discogs. I guess 1994 was my official first release, a seven-inch record from The Throws, featuring some exclusive... Yeah. Cuts. Yep. Who who were on REX at the, uh, before that, right? Uh, I was. I was working for REX. I started off as an intern when Doug Mann was still there, and then when he went to Forefront, I got hired on to do promotions, both radio, concert, and other. So yeah, that was my job. Okay. Cool. So what made you step out from REX and think I'm going to start my own label? REX was really cool when it started. When Doug Mann was there, he was the heart and soul of REX uh, music. He signed a lot of good bands. He did not sign any garbage. Um, <laughs> then uh, a money guy came in and ran REX, and it, they began bulking it up with a lot of fluff and stuff that I didn't feel was uh, true to the demographic or the the audience that REX was trying to serve. and so. Yeah, I started to think outside the box. I had this idea for the Steve Taylor tribute, and um, I was doing college radio at the time. I was still in college, going to Belmont University, and uh, I couldn't sell REX on the idea, so I decided I would do it myself. And so I started recording the bands and paying for it myself. Oh wow! Um, just you know, from my part-time job money outside of college, <laughs> and. Uh, I I leaked it to the press that REX was going to release the record, <laughs> even though they hadn't agreed to it. And they said, okay, well, I guess we're putting this record out. And uh, it turned out to be one of the, the, the biggest records they had at the time. Oh, wow. And um, just because of the, the, the audience, it, we, we were able to get a good prime spot at the Devil Ward um, Clubs, like when the Devil Wards were going on, there would be a lottery. You would draw in Sixpence on the Richer Plate, Steve Taylor played, Circle of Dust played. Um, and it, it turned out to be a really great way to uh, 
the boost Oriat. Yeah. Um, and because of the success of that, I had already in the back of my head several ideas for records. I wanted to do conceptual records. Uh, I wanted to do a Christmas record to have the first like hardcore punk industrial <laughs> Christmas record. And I beat uh, Brandon Evil at Tooth and Nail by one year on that. Uh, you did, still, yes. That's true. Yeah. <laughs> we, covered that in all, we covered that last Christmas. It was, it was a lot of fun. Very cool. Um, and uh, I knew I wanted to do a Striper tribute. So I immediately started, before the Steve Taylor record was out, I started uh, piling people up for the Striper tribute. And a lot of people were eager, eager to join that. So I just had ideas that were outside of the rex box and uh i because the way rex was going i had kind of a bad attitude about it and i let it be known <laughs> which was you know me being a punk you know early 20s kid i you know i have a lot more tact now than i did then so um yeah, yeah i mean they agreed and i agreed it was time for me to go do something else so <laughs> yep <laughs> <laughs> so, so if if, if uh, Rex was bringing a lot of fluff at this time, was was Sixpence on brand or was it fluff? No, Sixpence. I mean, there was a <laughs> there was like a, a sweet spot ninety two ninety three as um, right about yeah. the time Doug Mann was exiting before the Money Guy came in. I'm not going to name him because. I don't sure, want to give him course. any kind of props, um, but uh, the money before the money guy came in, uh, there was a, a few months where it was kind of like, you know, the the uh, the kids were running the daycare, so we did a lot of stuff. Oh. Uh, we signed a lot of bands. I, I don't know if many people know this or not, but Sixpence on the Richer was a side project for Matt Slocum. Uh, hmm. He was in another band where he was the guitarist, and I can't remember the name of that band. Uh, they did one record on REX, but um, so he, they had this sixpence demo floating around that was really, really, really good. Yeah. And um, uh, Tyler Bacon uh, slid into the, um, the A&R uh, slot that yeah. uh, Doug Mann had left at REX. And so he signed Sixpence on the Richer. They did a side project for Circle of Dust called Ariel Park. There was um, uh, a band called Hot Pink Turtle that was that was signed. They actually did the first Sixpence record and the first um, Hot Pink Turtle record back to back. Uh, there was a remix record for Brainchild, Living Sacrifices, Circle of Dust, and uh, so all of that uh, and Living Sacrifices second record. All that happened in the, in that small amount of time, uh, even though they weren't released immediately. Mm -hmm. uh that's when a lot of those records came into being and so um yeah sixpence on the richer was one of those good signings oh, um yeah. trying to think uh we i won't mention the garbage i'm sure most people can appreciate or <laughs> immediately guess what those are so i'm not gonna you know i'm not gonna you know yeah. diss anybody the, one, the ones not. that haven't been mentioned yet <laughs> yeah pretty much um and so not only the money guy came in but, but um Another guy came in who his expertise was mostly coaching bands, uh, giving them an onstage uh, critique so that they could uh, have more of a presence on stage, own yeah. it a lot more. He came up with um, a record label, and it was called, oh gosh, what was it called? It was called, 
I can't remember the name of the record label, but they signed a lot of folk records. And I mean, those those people were good. The, those records were good, but most of them were already in the can. It wasn't anything new. Jay and Chris was part of that, and uh, Nick Giaconia. Great people, great records, but uh, REX was starting to kind of float away from its uh, hardcore heavy metal and yeah. punk aesthetic. So, yeah, that's okay. when I left. So, uh, you know, Flying Tart compilations are um, either famous or notorious for being kind of epic and crazy. Yeah. Um, did Did you get your start making mixtapes as a kid or anything like that? <laughs> I did do that as a kid. I actually uh, did remix tapes. Um, I just, I don't know, there's always something really cool about recorded sound. I would just go mm-hmm. record odd things, conversations in convenience stores. I really like listening to... Um, um, answering machine tapes because you never know what you're going <laughs> to find on that stuff. I have a shoebox still full of answering machine tapes that I would buy at the Goodwill. Uh, I started doing that before Flying Tart folded, so I ne- never got to really use any of that stuff. I'm yeah. Um, I'm thinking about doing some sort of podcast in the future where I just do like a sound collage of all <laughs> this crazy stuff I've accumulated over the years. But yeah. Um, <laughs> I, yeah, I would do all that kind of stuff. Um, I also uh, worked on the weekends when I was in junior high and high school at a skating rink as the DJ. So hmm. I would I would always play, you know, the good stuff, but I would play throwing some curveballs there. And, uh, you know, that, that was just kind of my experimental stage of, you know, just having fun uh entertaining the audience with yeah. uh, a little bit more than the norm, you know? <clears throat> <laughs> okay. Oh, by the way, does flying tart come from Fla- faulty towers? It does come from faulty towers. Okay. And most people okay. don't know that, but yes, it does. <laughs> <laughs> All right. One of you fill me in. I mean, I know faulty towers, but I don't get the connection to flying tart. Oh, well, it's faulty towers. That was uh, John Cleese. And, uh, uh, the episode is so funny because when I came up with the name, a friend of, uh, I don't know if you guys know who Tony Shore is, uh, Dr. Yeah. Tony Shore. He's a, he was a record promoter in Nashville when I was there. Uh, he worked for Word, what was that, Lime something record Sublime? label? I can't remember. Well, oh, yeah, Sublime. Um, yeah. And he had a, a radio show on a network that I, I think became... Um, is it love or I, it's not I heart radio. What's the one that's like a, a big Christian, uh, hmm. record, uh, syndicated radio station. I can't think of the name. Love FM or whatever it probably, is. Probably K-Love. love. A yeah. love. Yes. It, okay. it, it became a love. Um, okay. Uh, and I would be on his show every now and then. And then when he bowed out, I took over the slot and uh, hosted it with a high school kid. And so we would play all kinds of stuff. But, um, uh, what was the question? I'm sorry. <laughs> I oh, just, we were, oh, we were talking about Faulty Towers. Towers <laughs> oh, yeah. Sorry, man. I'm way off point. Sorry. Uh, so Faulty <laughs> Towers, I was watching at the time. Uh, Tower Records was still in business, and they had very eclectic uh, stuff you could rent on video. And mm-hmm. so I had been into Faulty Towers at the time. I was trying to think of a name for my record label. I was thinking about calling it Jabberwocky at one point, and... Uh, <laughs> I was throwing all these names past Doug Mann, uh, and 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 he he liked Jabberwocky the best, but I was like, eh, 
still doesn't really hit the nail on the head. But I was watching Faulty Towers. There was an episode with um, Basil Faulty, John Cleese, uh, betting on a horse. And he was trying to mime the name of the horse to a fellow employee. And, and <laughs> she said, Flying Tart. And I'm like, oh, duh, that's it. That's totally it. That's the name <laughs> that's of my uh, and um, uh, one of the members of Dig Jesus did my first logo, and then I had another friend of mine do the logo with the spaceman, um, mm. which has been the logo ever since. Yeah, it's yeah. a great logo. Yep, that's a great logo. Okay, so I'm I didn't know the Faulty Towers thing, but I knew you must have been a Monty Python yeah. fan because Christmas in Heaven. Oh yes, you know, oh. reference to the meaning of life and all that <laughs> stuff. Okay. I tried to get a band to, to cover that, but nobody nobody took the the beat. I still oh. would really like to to do that in the future. Yeah, yeah. We we did discuss how that that reference may have been a little risque for Christian audiences because there's <laughs> at least fake breasts in the uh, in the in the video for it. You You're know? right. So we you know that's one of those two percenter jokes that not many people get. Um, yep. Yeah, I don't. I I look back on Flying Tart and I'm like, wow, you know, I did some stuff. Like you did. <laughs> I mean, you know, I I uh, when everything ended, the last T-shirt I put out said it was great when it all began, and people were like, oh, well, that's uh, Rose Tint My World from from uh, Mont or from um, uh, Rocky Horror. Uh, oh. But once again, only two people, like two percent of the people, got that reference. <laughs> Um, and that, that pretty much like illustrated the way I was feeling about the music business and my involvement in it at the time. Um, <laughs> so, you know, it, it, it served its purpose, but yeah, there were a lot of those little, uh, I don't know, jokes. I think even yeah. uh, at one point, uh, when I did, yeah, no kidding. Um, there was like, a five or six month period where I was smoking cigars just because it was cool. Um, <laughs> and I, <laughs> I was having to do my own like um, ad. And so I was putting like descriptions of the records in one sentence uh, under each ad. And I couldn't think of one uh, for one of the records. And I just put the description of the scars from the cigar box on the underneath <laughs> the description of the record. And then, you know, nobody seemed to catch it. So you know, I like to have fun <laughs> for sure. Yep. So one thing I I was curious about is that, you know, Fine Tart put out, and I assume you're interested in a lot of more underground and edgy type music, right? But you were in Nashville, probably like the most boring, you know, standard music city in the United States. What 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 what's up with that? Well, I went to uh, school in Belmont University. Um, and it was right about the time analog was switching to digital recording. Mm -hmm. um, and there was still a presence of cool music in Nashville. I mean, there was an underground. Uh, once again, Tower Records was there. There were some really good uh, record stores. Uh, I can't remember the name of the comic book store that was popular there. But you would go there basically uh, if anyone was touring through the area. Uh, if you went into that uh, comic book store, you would see them in there buying stuff. I, I mm. remember seeing members of the Cramps and Bobcat Goldthwait and uh, mm. several other people like would just come there to shop. Um, and you could find so much buried treasure there. Um, yeah. And I still to this day have like six crates of records that I 
bought from there and from Goodwill stores um, in Nashville. It does have a rich history. You can still actually get vinyl pressed there, virgin vinyl, like the really good vinyl oh, you wow. can get pressed there. Um, so I, that's kind of why I did vinyl, because mm-hmm. uh, you, you just go there and watch them make a record on a platter. <laughs> it's really cool. Um, even though computers were involved at the time, but still, you know, yeah. uh, you could watch them, you know, etch a record, and it mm-hmm. was really cool. Um, also, uh, Vanderbilt's college radio station was really progressive for the time. They hadn't <laughs> sold out to any kind of woke ideologies or any kind of pol- – they weren't really politicized. They were still really about good – Good college radio. I mean, mm-hmm. and I think a lot of the inspiration that I got for some of the things that I did was on uh, what I heard on college radio uh, in Van- from Vanderbilt's radio station. I tried to get a show there. Never happened. But uh, I did go do a, a radio show at, at another college uh, 20 miles outside of Nashville. So I still had my college radio fix and where I could, you know, play goofy stuff. And I got a lot of angry calls because people were like, why are you playing this garbage stuff? I don't want to hear Sesame Street. <laughs> like, I'm like, well, I was having fun. Uh, but yeah, Nashville, it, 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 I don't know about now so much, but, uh, you know, this is, gosh, it's almost 30 years ago. Uh, it's hard to believe that much time has passed, but, um, <laughs> no. but yeah, uh, it did have, it did have an undercurrent and a history that was, you had to look for it, but it was there. And back to the college radio station thing, um, I, I think we, we interviewed the guys uh, with the Julies uh, a few oh. months ago, and they, they mentioned that I think that you got you heard them on a college radio station or something like that. Um, um, I got their demo, I want to say, from the Huntington's. Uh, oh, really? Some, I think. Uh, some One of the bands I was working with. Maybe you've heard Huntington's on. Maybe that's what the story was. So. Mm. Uh, I don't know. Anyways, I don't remember. Yeah, <laughs> yeah. Um, I'm trying to think who, who I first heard of Chagall Guevara on college radio before they mm. ever got signed. That was cool. Um, yeah, I can't think of uh, any bands that I discovered that I later signed on college radio. But okay. I mean, it could be. I have no idea. <laughs> <laughs> so, um, so you left uh, Rex. Because you felt like they weren't holding up the uh, the the scene that you were you were trying to participate in. Any other goals that you had with starting Flying Tart? I guess. Um, any goals? Yeah. What were you trying to accomplish? Well, <laughs> I I heard a lot of bands um, that Rex was not going to sign, and mm-hmm. I don't know if you want to call it like a gift. I I think uh, you know. I don't know how many of your listeners are into um, church and all that kind of stuff, but I, I really feel like now it was a prophetic gift mm-hmm. that uh, I, it got to the point where I would hear stuff on the radio and then I'd go look in tower records and by the album cover, I could tell like, Oh, that's probably that band. Cause it looks like <laughs> what they're trying to do. And more often than not, that would be the case. Um, but there were a lot of bands like uh, Joe Christmas was one where there, if you heard their demo, it was not impressive. I mean, it, it wasn't anything that you would think like, oh, wow, these guys are going to write some pop songs and they're going to go places. I mean, right. but I was like, you know, I just have a gut feeling about these guys. 
I'm just going to go do a record. And it turned out to be a stinking good record. And mm. because mm-hmm. of my financial position at the time, I had to sell it to Tooth and Nail. But um, I don't know if most people know that I did the first Joe Christmas record. Um, we do, yes. In yeah, fact, we, so I'm, I'm, I'm going to skip to that real fast because I do want you to tell us a story of of you calling Brandon Ebel at Tooth and Nail. Uh, because in my head, uh, just give me a second here. In my head, it goes something yeah. like this. Oh, wait, we can't hear it, Clifton. Can you hear it now? Yeah. Anyways. <laughs> yeah, uh, the way it happened was um, I I had that record in the can, and it was good. Even Steve Hendelong, uh, even though he uh, – we recorded it at uh, the choir's studio, Neverland, and mm-hmm. – um, Steve Hendelong was in the room pretty much the entire time we did the record. And he's like, and he told me, um, you know, I know I, I work on a lot of records. I can't get Joe Christmas out of my head. Their songs are so catchy and good. And I'm like, yeah, I know, dude. Yeah. And he's like, well, how are you going to get it out? I had no distribution. I had a <laughs> record label imprint. That's why my first couple of records went out through Liquid Disc. They were, yeah. mm-hmm. they were distribution yeah. deals. I was trying to get distribution and nobody was going for it. The, the one thing that, uh, Brandon Ebel, like he came from marketing. He knew all about marketing. So he, right. and you can see that with his label. I mean, he, mm-hmm. he marketed the brand. I knew all about music. And so I, that's why I would go after bands that like these guys can write songs. These guys know how to, they know how to craft a good, a good song. And so mm-hmm. that's what I would go after. Um, I was trying to get distribution with Tooth and & Nail, and Brandon's like, I just want to buy them. I just want to buy them. And <laughs> I already had several records. Uh, the Huntingtons had recorded their first record, mm-hmm. which we then didn't release because they wanted to change their lead vocalist, and um, and they had all new songs. So they didn't want to release the first record. Wait, so, so you I, recorded something with more of the cricket stuff? Let's come back to that later. <laughs> yeah, yeah, no, uh, but yeah. Uh, the funny thing was, like, I did the Joe Christmas record. I sent it to Brandon um, and a couple other people trying to get distribution. Brandon just wanted to buy it outright, yeah. and I had already pressed vinyl um, that had three songs: one song from the record, two unreleased cuts. They did a cover of um, "I Love Rock and Roll," mm-hmm. um, and we did the Striper cover. And I want to say there was one or two other things we did that were just in the can for future use with Joe Christmas. So yeah, Brandon just wanted to buy it. And he did, he, he was not interested in distribution deals. Um, <laughs> and jo- and the Huntington's when they were still cricket, when they went to record their first record, they actually did a cover of couple skate by Joe Christmas mm-hmm. and they did tell right. me and I was there and they're like, Hey, check this out. And I was like, Oh, that is amazing. Like, <laughs> Having my first record already covered by a band, that's <laughs> incredible. Um, so yeah, that's how that's how it happened. It, it you know, because I was a kid at the time, it broke my heart because I, you know, the one thing you don't know in your early twenties when you're doing something like this is you you think it's all about you and you think it's all, you know, uh you have your heart hung on it. And um uh, yeah, so uh, that that was that was heartbreaking at the time, but I knew it was a good record, and 
it really paid off for them, even though they only wanted to do one more album. But yeah, yeah. that's the story behind that. <laughs> okay, I definitely want to ask about Huntington's, but I'm going <laughs> to hold off. No, it's okay. Um, tell me, well, I want to kind of get a little bit of, of the history. So you, it looks like the first thing you really put out officially was that throws seven inch right. after um, leaving REX. Then kind of, I don't know, take us through some of the highlights after that. What else were, um, like, it looks like you did Spyglass View and then you did that Scattered View. Yeah, I mean, um, there were a lot of bands I demos. liked and I knew that uh, the Scattered View, I just thought was a great record that didn't get uh, a lot of attention. Uh, Sin Disease, I think was the name of it. I mean, right. it's still, I think it holds up, you know, with anything that that came out in the time. Most people don't know that that um, Scattered Few was the backing band for HR, who was the lead singer of Bad Brains. Um, oh, wow. Okay, tour, that, makes, yeah, that makes a lot of sense. Yeah, they would be his backing <laughs> band. So, uh, yeah, you can totally see how that connect happens. Um, let's see. Uh, so, a Spyglass Blue, I had, I had reached out to... Um, to Alan Aguirre to, uh, I was trying to get them to reissue their, their Sin Disease record on an REX because REX had landed a, a distribution deal into the mainstream market with relativity. So we were doing college radio promotion at the same time we were doing Christian radio promotion. Um, I, I was trying to get that record re-released. Um, and I was told under no, Certain terms would REX have anything to do with Scattered Few. So I knew they had a demo, and I got their demo remastered, and we had that out, um, oh gosh, uh, 94, 95 Cornerstone. We had that CD out. Um, and Alan Aguirre was like, well, uh, I have this other side project called Spyglass Blue. Uh, do you want to hear it? They had four uh, songs already recorded, and so I did vinyl on that. Um, we were going to do a full-length record. That never happened. Uh, just between my temperament and his, we, it wasn't a good mix. <laughs> now, long story short, <laughs> yeah. So uh, he went on to do something with, oh, gosh, uh, another record label. I can't think of the name of it. Um, Let's see, Situation Taboo. I, what happened is I signed a lot of bands out the gate. Like, actually, Brandon Ebel and I had, um, we were pursuing the same bands at the same time. Marone <laughs> Forest was one of those. Um, oh, okay. But I knew that, like, Tooth and Nail, I mean, they, they had more of an open market. They knew what they were doing. They had a track record. So um, Brandon Ebel and I had kind of an unspoken agreement of, like, um, I could borrow, quote unquote, some of his bands um, if I wanted to do compilations. He was pretty cool about that. Hmm. So, uh, yeah, that's uh, Morales Forest. Actually, came to Nashville. They were playing a show and they did their Striper cover while we were doing the Joe Christmas record. Um, and uh, let's see, there was another record label in Athens, Georgia. Um, I, once again, I can't remember the name of Grey Dot, I think was yeah, the name Grey of it. Yeah, that's right. And they approached me about doing a seven-inch vinyl for one of their bands. They were like, can you, uh, Sunday Shaw was the name of the band. Mm -hmm. They were yeah. like, um, you know, could you press vinyl for these guys? We'll pay for it. Um, but 
they really want to do something on Flying Tart. And I, at the time, was my next tribute record, which never happened. I wanted to do a Sesame Street tribute record. So some of the bands actually did Sesame Street songs. And, you know, (laughs) I still have dats on some of that stuff. That's where the throws 7-inch came from. They did the C is for Cookie from Sesame Street. Um, Right. Okay. Yep. Um, So I did this. Okay. single did the joe christmas single uh there was a guy in um canada named uh norman and he had his own show on one of the one of the uh, more popular stations that was uh, a college radio station in canada and he wanted to do a single so we did that four songs about motorcycles that was okay, his. that's because that's the weirdest thing <laughs> well no but <laughs> <laughs> Yeah, I mean, it was um, it, it was the kind of thing where he wanted to he once again he was like I have these four bands they want to do uh, they already have songs Strato Chief I thought was I tried to sign them but they didn't want to sign yeah. to a record label um, Damien actually had stuff on Sub Pop already I don't know yeah. If right yeah that, but like he had a record out on Sub Pop at the time and. Uh, um, Blenderhead, actually, you know, that was the the uh, Tooth and Nail band. And then 12-point mm-hmm. buck, I don't know where they came from or where they went afterwards. But, uh, <laughs> yeah, Norman just wanted to do a four-inch or do a seven-inch with uh, these four bands. And, uh, yeah, I was like, cool, no problem. Um, he, I think he paid for part of that. I know he did all the recording and the artwork. Mm-hmm. And um, uh, Fluffy came about because um blonde vinyl had gone on under they went out of business and um i really was a fluffy fan and i met chris colbert um at some sort of festival in atlanta georgia and i just walked up to him and said hey man uh do you want to do a record and he actually became the main producer for a lot of the flying tart stuff right yeah um, that's Go ahead. Steve, Steve Hendelong and Chris Colbert are the two names that seem to always pop up when we, just on our, we're both from small town Texas, you know, so we're we're we were watching this from way afar, you know. <laughs> Everything <laughs> seems like a different world as far as we're concerned, but those are those are two names we always knew because they're always popping up on 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 the flying tart stuff, yeah. Right. Yeah, uh, uh Chris Colbert and I really uh instantly got along. Uh we had a lot of the same uh bands we liked a lot of the same tv shows movies etc um i he already knew the members of joe christmas he was gonna mm-hmm. do a record with them under a different name for mm-hmm. um blonde vinyl but blonde vinyl went out of business i didn't know this when i signed the band uh, it was only <laughs> when i started talking to chris that i i put it together that they knew each other and um so the, the thing that was interesting is chris uh and his wife i can't think of her name but she was in the violent or no what was the band she was in uh halo friendlies is that her uh no No. it was hang on i'll tell you in a second it was uh another band uh oh gosh plague of ethels that was her Hmm. band Okay. okay um they went through a divorce mm-hmm. right before uh, the Fluffy record was recorded. And, and Chris wanted to fly out to California, where he was from originally, Los Angeles, uh, pick up the lead vocalist. And then he was going to write the lyrics for the album on the drive back 
from California to Nashville. And they actually recorded a good bit of it in um, in California. Uh, that's why some of the drum work is very intricate because their drummer was an ethnomusicologist. He studied world music and he wanted to just experiment with some of the uh, stuff he had learned. Mm-hmm. So they recorded part of it in, in California and they recorded uh, the other half in Nashville. That's how Steve Hinalong's on the record. Um, I don't know if you guys remember a band called Velocipede that did two records on REX. Their vocalist is on the last track. Um, let's see. We did the, the only thing I said is I want, I want a cover song of Convoy. Cause like, I don't know why. <laughs> All right. I was just like, that is just, just the most ridiculous song ever recorded. And, uh, <laughs> I thought it would be really cool that Fluffy did a, a cover of that. Um, Chris would not do a striper cover, but uh, he does play guitar mm-hmm. on the last track of the record um, where where he's playing guitar. He, he played the guitar part, and I did the vocal on the last track on the striper tribute. Um, so I did get him to concede that. <laughs> that um, so around, I'm going to ask about hunting. Sure. Now. Around this time, you must have met what was then cricket how did that how did you find out about cricket how did you meet them and then i don't know Four, what happened forefront <laughs> records uh did a compilation no wait a minute it wasn't forefront oh gosh who's the guy that does their vinyl now i can't think of his name uh he did a compilation of a bunch of east coast bands that's where i found the julies that's where i found the huntingtons okay. i found uh, Alika, that was at mm-hmm. the time Sorrow of Seven. I just saw, heard all these bands. I'm like, these guys, they're, they're like really good. And like, I immediately called them because, uh, whoever put out the compilation put their contact info in the liner notes. <laughs> and so, like, nice. I, I, I nabbed the Huntingtons and it was funny. Like, uh, uh, after I had signed Alika, um, Sorrow of Seven, um, someone from Forefront was like, uh, you beat me to the punch, man. I was going to go after a lot of these bands. I'm like, sorry, first come, first serve. So, <laughs> um, so yeah, I, I don't know. Let me see if there's any, any of the other bands. Uh, Situation Taboo, I think I heard on that compilation. Okay. Um, yeah, so I, yeah, I found the Huntingtons when they were cricket on that compilation. And, um, yeah, I mean, to me, that was a no-brainer. The, I don't even remember the song that was on the comp, but I'm like, I, I, you know, these guys, you know, they have some chops. Cliff was a singer at the time. It, it wasn't, um, it wasn't the guitarist. It was Cliff. Mikey. Yeah, it wasn't Mike. It was Cliff that was doing the, the vocals. But I mean, you know, I, I knew instantly where they were coming from and what the potential was. So yeah, I jumped on that pretty quick. But then they recorded an entire album with that style. Yeah, with Cliff as the uh, as the lead singer, it, they were under the name Cricket, mm-hmm. um, and Brown Cow was the name of that record. <clears throat> I think they've released okay. it themselves. Yeah, um, I heard it on that one. Yes. They have yeah. on Spotify and places you can find it. Yeah, right. Uh, I do remember that I had to call Buddy Holly's. Um, Right. <laughs> yeah, because they were the Buddy Holly and the Crickets. And the Crickets, yeah. So that's why they changed their name to the Huntingtons, because uh, their 
um, the the manager of his estate was like, no, you can't have a band called Cricket. <laughs> so that's why they changed their name. And then they did their second record. Um, I and Chris Colbert recorded that. Um, mm. And they, pretty much all that was straight to tape, if memory serves. I wasn't there for the recording, but uh, they they did it all at Great Out Studios in uh, Athens, Georgia. Pretty much, mm-hmm. I dropped Chris Colbert off, and uh, yeah, uh, the lineup was a little different. I think they had a different bass player uh, who ate mm-hmm. all of their food. I remember that <laughs> <laughs> crazy <laughs> stuff. You remember, right? Um, <laughs> But yeah, uh, they they recorded it there, and that was the I think the second full length record that I released, I believe. Yeah. yeah. Were you were you happy with the sound change? Because I feel like the sound from Crickets to the to Huntington's was, you know, a, a decent shift, like different sound. Right. No, I mean the one thing that because I had dealt with it at REX, there was a lot of. A&R push on certain bands to do certain things. Uh, there was a band, I think, called Killed by Kane, and the only reason they were signed is um, REX wanted to make them sound like the Christian version of something. And mm-hmm. uh, I really did not want to do that. I wanted to give the artists as much leeway and as much uh, freedom to do whatever they wanted to do, you know, shy of swear words and stuff like that. Um, <laughs> But, you know, some of those slid through. Um, yeah, I wanted to give the artists, let them make the record. My philosophy at the time was, as a record label, you let the artist make the record, and then it's your responsibility to sell it. Not the record label is going to craft something to shove out to a certain demographic or a certain audience. I was very big on letting the artists do what they wanted to do. And, you know, I mean, there were some times when things were recorded that were just awful, but, you know... Uh, either we put them, <laughs> well, I think one of the bands, I'm not going to tell you which one, but like they recorded an entire album. They had some good, some good tracks, but one of the band members decided they wanted to go in and remix the entire album themselves. It sounded oh, so bad, but it, I was like, you know, I, I have to take this because I don't have more money for you guys to go in and do more stuff. And, uh, yeah. it suffered because of it. Um, I mean, it really did suffer. And, uh, I didn't, I put the record out. I wasn't super excited about it. And there's still some solid tracks from the band I'm talking about. And, um, but, you know, I let them do what they wanted to do. And I put it out. So, yeah, with the Huntington's, uh, the change in the sound, I was totally cool with. I think it was an improvement. I think the band said it was an improvement. Um, mm. And when they did their second record, they did it in uh, Indianapolis, Indiana. Um, and they lined up the producer. And, I mean, it was it was great. I mean, yeah. by that time, I had sold the record label to a division of Polygram um, called River North. And they changed their name to Platinum Entertainment. And then they went out of business. Um, oh, no. So, uh, uh, but they, that the polygram people were really surprised at that record because it was, I mean, it was right there with like, uh, I, uh, the weasels, that kind of, uh, yeah. yeah, those kind of bands, uh, they were really surprised with that record and they got behind it in the college market because okay. it turned out a lot better than they thought it, what they were getting. Yeah. 
and and they have not stopped. Those guys are still. They were here actually a few weeks ago. I went to see them here in Austin, mm-hmm. and uh, there were not enough people there, but it was a great show. So <laughs> yeah, no, they 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 have done very well for themselves. I mean, Jeez. um, yeah, I mean, I I'm very happy for their success. Yeah. yeah. So, Alex, it made me think of one other question. We we're talking about Joe Christmas. You sold that record to Tooth and Nail. That was ninety. Five, something think. like that yeah and and then looking at flying tart it seems like in like 96 you guys put out a, a lot yeah. more stuff like you you're putting out a lot did did that did selling the record tooth and nail kind of help you you know the money from that help you put out <laughs> all the other releases? actually the money from that only covered the recording of that record i didn't make yeah, anything no off of that um uh, yeah it's i was not a savvy businessman for sure <laughs> i knew music i didn't know business um right Right. But I had all these things that were being created at the time. And so <laughs> finally I was able to get them out. I, I, uh, once I was looking for a distribution and, uh, I didn't know anything about this river North company, but a friend of mine worked there. I had known in the music business, uh, prior to that, his name is Rob Woolsey. He was a record promoter freelance. He did a lot of Christian radio broadcasts and, um, he had taken a job at uh, Platinum Entertainment to do their promotions. And uh, I don't know how it happened. He he wound up actually <laughs> running the, the Christian division of that company. Um, and I was going to him to look for distribution. And he said, why don't we just buy your label? You can come here. You can have an office. You can do whatever you, you know, make the records you want to make. And I was like... <laughs> Yeah, once again, being a punk kid, I was like uh, heavy-hearted about it. But yeah. I was like, "What else am I going to do?" I mean, by that time, I was in debt for some of these records. We had stuff recorded I couldn't pay for, so I wouldn't get yeah. the masters until I worked something out. Um, so that's when uh, Left Out came out, the Julie's EP. I mean, some of these bands were like, "Hey, when's our record coming out? When's our record coming out?" And I'm like. You know, I don't know. I, I I don't have enough money to put the records out. Um, and um, REX had been sold at the same company. So that's how mm-hmm. I was able to kind of co-opt Six Feet Deep, that one record. Yeah. Um, when they put it out through Polygram, uh, it had the Flying Tart logo on it. It didn't have REX uh, because they had bought the catalog, uh, but there was nobody really running REX. So, mm-hmm. yeah. You know, had I thought about it at the time, I would have capitalized on that a lot more. Um, But uh, I had so much recorded that I needed to get it out. Uh, I had the Alika record recorded. Mm -hmm. uh, That was already going through Liquid Disc. And once again, that was another case where I sold the the record and the contract to Liquid Disc um, as long as they agreed to put the flying tart imprint on it. Uh, I had the fluffy record in the can. Um, so that's where that fluffy versus uh, phantasmic Fantastic, record yeah. came from. Um, and then the, the five songs that were bonus. I, I can't even remember what the name of the band was. Um, so there were five songs from the fluffy record before the fluffy record came out. Five songs from phantasmic that I did the EP on. Uh, which I don't know if people know or not. That was Tess Wiley, who was the bassist for Six Cents and the Richer at the time. Mm-hmm. That was her record. Um, 
Is that how you got connected with her? Is from Sixpence? Yeah, Sixpence on the Retro. I worked their first two records at REX. I mean, I was there the day they signed the contracts. I was there at their first performance at um, Cornerstone. Um, and we, it wasn't until the record was delivered that we were like, wow, we really have something here. This, this yeah. is really, yeah. you know, really good stuff. Um, I had already left REX. Um, when they were doing that EP that came out. Um, but yeah, I, I, I was good friends with them. They stayed at my house when they would come through town. Um, uh, Tess Wiley from Fantasmic was dating Chris Colbert at the time. So that was the connect. Oh, okay. So I think she was even at our house for like a month or so, like uh, just hanging out. She was in town, didn't have anything going on. Six Minutes was about to go on the road, but they were getting their dates firmed up and getting a band vehicle. Um, so, yeah, uh, Tess was hanging out at our house a lot. And <laughs> I, I, I knew she was shopping her own stuff. And I was like, why don't I just, you know, do it was called Splendora at the time, which there was another band called Splendora. That's why she mm -hmm. had to uh, change her name to Fantasmic. Um, uh, but I said, why don't I just take the demo stuff that you have and, and just put it out just so you can have something to sell. So that was uh, that record. And then uh, actually Chris and I were driving to Indianapolis while the Huntington's were recording their record uh, in the middle of a snowstorm. And we were just like, you know, throwing out our ideas. And, I, and it just came to me like, why, why don't we have Tess just do a one one-off cover song record and i'll pick two of the songs she can pick the rest and uh that's how that uh i light up your life uh record came hmm. about and that was actually that record was released after i had already left flying tart um oh wow oh, same wow. thing with the circle of dust record um but yeah i mean i don't know if i answered your question about the huntingtons or not <laughs> no you did that, um that, and i just just the tess wiley thing for a second i think her songs were great geez. i wish she had gotten bigger and more credit because i think the, she was really really good and some of the songs were really yeah, good I was, I was gonna bring up her, her her track on the christmas album christmas in heaven is like devastatingly beautiful like, oh it's, yeah no it's so funny because <laughs> the christmas record <clears throat> i was rushing to get out because i really i just i really wanted to do a christmas record uh, that was cool, and uh, it looks kind of like a Halloween record, but it's a Christmas record. <laughs> I'm just like, no, that's that, you know, that's just me. Um, and um, uh, I think we made agree verbal agreements with each of the band members or each of the bands uh, for like $500 per track. And I, I, I remember calling Tess, and I'm like, I have to have your track. We're going to go you know, master of the record the next week. I'm like, I have to have your track. So she just kicked it out and <laughs> recorded it at home. And I remember getting the dat and I was playing the dat for Rob Woolsey and the, the polygram um, attorney <laughs> was in the room at the time. And he's like, we paid for this. And I'm like, yeah, dude, <laughs> this is awesome. Like, what, what are you talking about? And just shows <laughs> the disconnect with the big wigs and, what yeah. was cool, but I'm with you. I, I really like that, that song. Um, the, I, I should mention, you know, kind of that ragtag stuff, like, like, uh, her track and marriage is madness from, uh, 
from the Striper tribute, that was uh, yeah. that was uh, Zach from Joe Christmas and one of his mm -hmm. friends. He mixed that on an answering machine. He he mixed <laughs> the final mix down to an answering machine, and I'm like, because once again, I was going to to you know master the record. I'm like, I have to have your track, and he's like, <laughs> I'm like, like that's why you hear some of the wobbliness and some of the yeah. the speed. Um, stuff going weird with that i'm like i i don't know why i just love that kind of stuff that, like that, that that's a that's a bad joke about indie music coming to life right there exactly <laughs> i mean it, it, how cool is that i i put out a record that that's on national distribution that was mixed down to an answering machine <laughs> mic drop yeah yeah <laughs> so as I so back to you know 1996 you put out Julie's left out Huntington's Starball contribution Christmas in Heaven these are like these are like the albums I listened to that year by the way like this is <laughs> <laughs> well, thanks the, yeah I mean this that and then, and then next year you know Duralux 121 I didn't listen to Situation Taboo but I mean this is I I just want to say what 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 a huge impact I think that that the flying toy at least had on me was this I mean these are to this day, the Julies and 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 Huntingtons are still great bands, you know. And and, anyways, yeah. Thank well, you. No, thanks. Uh, we'll, we'll stop oh. right here. <laughs> <laughs> um, well, um, you know, at the time, I I didn't know. I just knew what cool music was and what I wanted to put out. And yeah. uh, I think it was uh, one of the members of Morales Forest. Like we were sitting in, we were sitting in. Uh, Oh, Waffle House. And he was like, dude, do you take your record label seriously? And I'm like, that's a compliment and an, an insult. <laughs> Thank you. I take it as a compliment. But yeah, I mean, 96 was the year that I got distribution. So like yeah. the Striper record, the Huntington's and Fluffy all were through Liquid Disc. That's how each of those came out. And then when you see all the stuff after that, that's when <laughs> I actually had distribution with... Um, okay with Platinum Entertainment. Uh, 121, man, great band, great bunch of guys. Mm -hmm. I knew from hearing their demo, and I think I got it from the Huntingtons. I'm like, oh, no, no, no. They were on that compilation uh, really? CD. It was Jehovah's Strength, the one that's yeah. on the Starball track. It was the exact same song. Um, yeah, I, I'm just like, man, these guys, uh, I, I have to, I have to sign them. And the good thing I can say is most of the bands after Flying Tart went on to do other stuff. I mean, they yes. went to record on other record labels, or they broke up. Uh, like, <laughs> but um, yeah, Duralux went and did their own. They did two records on their own record label, and we actually, I, I, I really wish I had a copy of it. But we did an entire second Duralux record called "The Shady Mess." That has mm -hmm. never seen the light of day. Only one of the tracks made it onto one of Duralux's other records. So there's an entire Duralux record that has never been released. And Interesting. I think I have a DAT somewhere, but I don't have a CD copy of that. I, I, we, yeah, I have to find a DAT player somewhere. Um, we need to come back to that in a second. Yeah. So um, I do. I do have. A, I, I want to ask you a very vague question. Sure. About cover. Who? Who did? What, what's with the cover art for Flying Tart? Most of it's like cribbed. <laughs> 60s 40s 70s oh, like man. like <laughs> well you know because of my like record label i could do whatever i wanted to so yeah. i'll kind of run down some of the titles uh <laughs> breakfast with amy that uh chris colbert knew that was in the can the breakfast with amy live at the hollywood bowl 
Um, and he had one of the um, blonde vinyl guys do that artwork. Mm. Um, so that's how that uh, album art came about. The Live Long and Perspire, which <laughs> I just had a bunch of stuff, and I'm just like, I would really like to put this out, and why not? Uh, I had that, the Breakfast with Amy record, and... Um, um, uh, gosh, uh, sorry, scattered few. I had all those and the throws compilation. I had all those or the throws vinyl. I had all those ready at the same time for, mm -hmm. um, Cornerstone Festival, uh, 94, 95. Um, the, yeah, the Live Long Perspire. Uh, I, I found the cover art, uh, a friend of mine had stolen it from her laundry room in her apartment complex. Uh, <laughs> and it was like uh, for these safety goggles. And I thought it looked really cool. And I actually got a cease and desist letter from the company <laughs> that had that. Yeah. They were like, stop using our trademarked image. I'm like, well, I only did, you know, 500 CDs. So that's not a problem. Yeah. Uh, the someone, someone gave us the MP3s for that the other day. And it's on our, YouTube channel now, by the way. Very so. cool. Yeah, I mean, that's, you know, that compilation, that was so much fun. I, I just knew I had to get something out to let people know I was doing stuff that was, you know, that varied. I, I actually did pay for the recording of that big Jesus um, live at Cornerstone, mm -hmm. and I didn't have enough money to put it out, so the band took it to whatever record label they, um, they took it to, um, yeah, that was one of the cases where I didn't have enough money to put the record out and no distribution. So it's like I had stuff in the can. Um, that's why those two tracks are listed there. And then the cover song of What I Am was uh, someone that lived in my uh, dorm room hallway. Um, that was his final project for recording class. Oh, <laughs> I was just like, man, that's just brilliant. <laughs> I mean, that, that cover song was just like hilarious so i had to put that out the plague of ethels um by that time i was frequenting a lot of uh uh thrift shops in nashville which they were a, a lot of cool ones not just salvation army and uh, goodwill but there were some really cool like uh thrift shops that were attached to organizations religious organizations or churches and mm -hmm. i found that comic that is from the late great planet earth comic strip um, and I just thought, you know, that, that image just looks too cool. And that's all Xerox art. That whole thing I made on a Xerox copier. Um, let's see. Circle of Dust did their own album art. Phantasmic did her own art. The Huntingtons did their own art. Um, oh, really? Well, they, they got someone to do it for them. Um, yeah. the Starball contribution, I did that, uh, cause, uh, you know, I would drive back and forth. I'm originally from South Carolina, so when I would go to visit my family, it was like an even stop from Nashville um, to Atlanta was like four hours. But in between, like a halfway point, there's this gigantic fireworks emporium there. <laughs> and I would just go there. And the thing that was so funny is you would see the translations that were just not on, you know, very loose translations and the name of that firework on the front is called Starball Contribution. I'm like, yes, that is just the goofiest name for a firework. And I just <laughs> had to put that on a record cover. So, uh, that's where that came from. And I was big into these 
children's story records at the time and Sesame Street. Mm-hmm. Um, and so the inner artwork came from like a Star Trek children's yeah. story record. Yeah. Okay. So I, yeah, um, the Christmas record, I found all that artwork in, in some sort of thrift shop catalog, um, like from the 60s. Yeah. Christmas catalog. That's where I got that from. Yep. All right. Nice. So one band we haven't talked about is Left Out. Um, yes. And I liked that um, first album quite a bit. I thought it was very catchy. I listened um, to that so much. I don't know. How'd you get connected with them? Hmm. Well, Brian Gray from The Blamed um, was at Cornerstone. Uh, I think 95 was the year I officially left REX. I had given them a specific date that I was going to be leaving. Um, resigning from the company it happened to coincide with a really horrible record they were releasing i'm like wow we're putting that out well that's going to be my last day at this job um i mean it really it was just a horrible record and um uh so that was in that was going to be sometime in september so so i was still with rex in 94 95 whichever year that was um and brian gray had finished his contract with Tooth and Nail, and he said he had this side project that he wanted to do. And I said, "Well, sure." I I didn't even hear any of the songs. All I wanted was <laughs> wow. like I just knew, you know, I knew what I was getting with Brian. Uh, yeah. Um, the only thing I said is like I I want to do this Bay City Rollers uh cover song EP. <laughs> so can you do a Bay City Rollers song? That's where Saturday Night came from, and um, I mean, I think it's a flipping great cover. It's a great cover. Um, yes. But yeah, that's how I got connected with Left Out. I didn't, I had not heard any of it. Um, and then wow. um, Clank was a really good friend of mine from the Circle of Dust days. Uh, he was uh, a touring member of Circle of Dust, and uh, Clank and I had just been really good friends. Uh, I don't know at what point. Oh, I know. Uh, the basis, the original basis for the touring um, band of Circle of Dust had moved to Nashville because he's, even though he was in Circle of Dust, that's not his thing. Like, he was much more like, uh, had a Nashville vibe, singer, songwriter kind of thing. And so he moved to town. He and I were good friends. Uh, Chris Donatello, I think. What, what is his Donahue. Donahue. Chris Donahue. Um, and he and I were hanging out a lot at the time and, uh, Clank came to town just to hang out with him. And so Clank and I started hanging out and we've been, you know, good friends ever since. Um, and he was like, Hey, I want to, I want to produce left out. I'm like, sounds good to me, dude. So (laughs) Clank produced it. Chris Colbert recorded it. And once again, I think pretty much everything you hear on that first record was straight to tape. It was not. It, wow. I don't think there were a lot of overdubs, maybe a little bit, but not much. Yep. Hmm. Are there any bands that you guys passed on over the years that, uh, that we might know of? Hmm. Uh, I remember a band we passed on at REX, Jars of Clay. Oh, yeah. We oh, wow. On that. But, you know. Whoops. Yeah, well, a lot of people <laughs> don't know. I mean, that, that one track that, uh, that was huge and, you yeah. know, made it on mainstream radio. 
that was a producer's record. That was, you know, the band mm. did not sound like that. The producer got uh. them to sound like that. Um, and I'm not saying they're a bad band at all, but, you know, a producer, a good producer is going to hear things that the band doesn't know uh, could come yeah. about or that, that right. could be added. You know, same thing with Sixpence. Uh, uh, Armin Petrie, the guy who, who did their first two records, the first record. Um, I mean, he brought a lot of stuff out of that band that, um, you know, wasn't there initially. Six Minutes was still a great band, but he really added the the fine touches that took that record from good to great. Mm -hmm. um, yeah, we passed on Jars of Clay. I'm trying to think if there's anyone else. I, I really... Um, regret not signing five iron frenzy i had a year oh, oh, i had wow. a one year lead on signing that band um <laughs> and that was when there were no ska bands in right the scene at all i could have had them a year before the supertones a year before they signed to five minute walk <laughs> um and i actually gave them some uh legal advice on that they wanted to put out a seven inch or something and i told them you know, they wanted to put an Amy Grant song on there. I'm like, well, here's the steps you have to go through. I have been in contact with them, but I didn't feel their songwriting at the time was right there. But mm -hmm. I really felt like the Holy Spirit was like, just do it, just do it, just sign it. And I, I that was what I missed because mm -hmm. I should have signed them and let them keep writing um, and then <laughs> put out the record. But yeah, I, I had their demo a year before anyone heard about wow. them. They were playing like on, there was a stage at Cornerstone where indie bands could pay to play mm -hmm. on the stage. That's where I first heard Five Iron <laughs> Frenzy. Um, wow. I didn't pass on Goaty Hook, but those were, that was another band that was like Brandon and Evil and I were both trying to court at the time. And that I mean, a lot of sense. The, the thing about me is it, still to this day and even back then, it's like, I am not going to lie to people intentionally i'm not gonna like try and say i can do this for you and this for you and this for you but both with morales forest and goatee hook i i i know morales forest i had already called them reached out to them we were actually in the first round of contract negotiations before uh tooth and nail heard about them and uh brandon evil and i even had a phone call and brandon's like if you really want to sign the band i'm like dude they're gonna do so much better with you like You've got the distribution, you've got the track record, you know, and I told Morales Forrest the same thing. I told Goody Hook the same thing. I'm like, you know, I'd really like to sign you guys, but I mean, Tooth and Nail has more going for them street cred right now than I do. So, you know, if that's what, if you're looking to, to be big nationwide, that's who you need to go with. Yeah. Um, I passed on some of the Grey Dot bands. Um, uh, I can't remember the name of the punk ska band they had, but they went on to sign with Tooth and Nail. I, Squad yeah, 5 Squad 5 oh. I, I passed on them uh, just because like, I already had a couple of punk bands and I was wanting to do other things. And, yeah. um, you know, I didn't think they were a bad band. It's just like, uh, you know, I'd rather allocate my resources somewhere else. Mm -hmm. Um Plus, once Flying Tart sold to Polygram, it became very evident that Polygram was not interested in making new records. All they mm -hmm. wanted to do was absorb the catalog. Yeah. Um, 
So I, I, that last six months, even though I got a lot of demos, I wasn't looking to sign anybody new because I didn't, you know, there was no reason to obligate anybody, you know? In 2020, uh, Lost in Ohio came around and started doing re-releases, and they re-released the Julies and Fluffy. Have you had any contact with the with those guys? Yeah, uh, during lockdown, um, uh, whoever put that out contacted me about writing liner notes or something like that. Um, same thing with Phantasmic. Somebody mm-hmm. was acting on uh, Tess's behalf to um, reissue her stuff. I wanted to know if I had bonus tracks or anything. Um, and that's when, you know, I, I hadn't really thought a lot about Flying Tart in quite a while. Um, but in 2020, during the lockdowns, that's when I found Discogs. And I was like, yeah. wow, I put out like 50 plus records. And I didn't realize <laughs> that. I'm like, I have a, I have a catalog. And then I, ha- I had to research who had the rights for... Uh, for those people or for the the person that was putting out Tess's stuff. And then yeah. uh, Velocipede also reached out to me because they wanted to reissue their stuff. And REX was owned by the same label. And that's when I found <laughs> out that one entertainment had bought everything. Um, and the odd thing is uh, one entertainment was bought by Hasbro. So like Hasbro <laughs> toy company owns all my back catalog. That's the crazy okay, thing. Like, <laughs> I mean, uh, and the, uh, what I'll take a little uh, rabbit trail here. What I'm doing right now is I, I'm doing, I went to school for film. So I've done short films, and I now work for a company in, um, in Tulsa, Oklahoma, Sparrow Pictures, who uh, have done three documentaries, and they're doing narrative, uh, narrative stuff. We're doing podcasts every, pretty much every day um, about the film industry and about their history. And um, so I, I actually have developed a series for streaming about like me as the main character from my REX to flying tart years. So it would be yeah. like each season would be hmm. one year. Um, <laughs> and I really want to pitch it to one entertainment because they've got all these, you know, the REX and the flying tart catalogs. Yeah. And this would be a great way to rejuvenate that stuff. Um, and, you know, maybe we can do some uh, some action figures at the same time. Yeah, exactly. <laughs> maybe. You, but, know, um, you can get Starball and uh, Starball Contribution and G.I. Joe at the same time. Exactly. Yeah. <laughs> that's a catalog that's buried in their vaults they have no idea about. Um, um yeah, I don't know Lost in Ohio. I mean, whoever put that stuff together for the Julies reached out to me to do some liner notes, but yeah. but that was like one like internet conversation that didn't go anywhere. So, okay. um, I know there that uh, Platinum Entertainment did these ridiculous uh, like three albums in one CDs that were issued. Uh, they had like the Huntingtons and Left Out. Both Huntington's records and the Left Out record. Mm-hmm. And then they have the Circle of Dust with some other stuff. And they, you know, the the mainstream, you know, cronies like to recycle stuff. So that's the only, <laughs> yeah, that's the only other reissues that I know of. I mean, now Clay Scott, Circle of Dust, he was able to acquire all his back catalog, which okay. I, uh, which 
you know, I, I'm very happy he was able to do that. Um, so he's reissued all his stuff. Um, I don't know about reissues on the, the other stuff. I thought it would be kind of cool to dust some of this stuff off and do something at some point. But now that Hasbro owns the catalog, I don't, I don't know. <laughs> you know? Um, yeah, I mean, even over the years, I've thought, you know, uh, I've even had dreams where I'm like tell, telling family, family members and friends, I'm like, Flying Tart's doing new music, um, which I think <laughs> would be kind of cool. But I, you know, at this point, don't know the possibilities of that because I'm, yeah. I'm doing film stuff now. Yeah. So, so that actually brings me a good question for me. Um, so kind of take us through the end of the label. I guess you, you, you sold it. You started working, um, for them and then kind of what happened? I have a track history in the music business of working for labels that uh, REX and platinum entertainment, they're poorly run. Uh, when I say REX, I mean, Doug Mann did a great job of taking it to where it was in 92, 93. Then when the money guy came in and he was signing all this schlock, what most people don't, uh, you know, when you, you actually had uh, record stores that carried this stuff, what would happen is you would sell the CDs into a record store and you get paid a part of what you're going to sell, not what they actually purchase. And in, back in that time, the 90s, uh, record stores would have the option after 90 days to return the product. And so if it didn't sell, they didn't want it on their shelves and in their inventory, they could return it to the di distributor. Well, there was a, uh, there were fees tacked to that. Uh, a, there's a distribution fee for anything that doesn't sell. And there's a restocking fee to go back to the distributor if it doesn't sell. So you're selling it into, you know, maybe a, a CD was $12.99. You would sell it into a record store for $7. I mean, arbitrary amount is probably a little more than that, but you sell it in for $7. So you get $7, but then you have to pay $8 to take it back because you're paying your restocking fee and your distribution fee. Hmm. Um, and sometimes there would even be a, like a warehousing fee if it just sat somewhere with your distributor. So it costs more money not to sell records than it did to sell records. Um, that makes sense. Yeah, I mean, we were dealing with physical media at the time. Same thing for DVDs, videotapes, books, any kind of media, tangible media. Mm -hmm. um, so REX, when they started putting out a lot of schlock, um, were eating. They, they were going out of business fast because of that restocking fee. Because they were putting out crap that wouldn't sell. And they were taking it all back and losing money. And actually, when I left REX, I, I, I told Tyler Bacon, I'm like, I give this company a year and it'll go out of business. Three months later, they went out of business. Um, wow. And then I, the same thing when I went to um, Platinum Entertainment. I've learned something uh, through wisdom over my many years. There's this thing called due diligence. I never do, did any due diligence on the record company I went to, uh, that I sold Flying Tart to because they were exactly the same thing only they were much bigger and they were through polygram so they ate a lot more on their returns they were putting out some garbage and their strategy was to buy labels 
for the catalog and then, you know, milk the catalog for all it was worth. Um, and yeah, they, uh, I could see the writing on the wall with them. Plus, once again, I was a punk kid. I, my aesthetic was DIY, do it yourself. You go make the record, you get it pressed, you put it out. Now I was dealing with big wig, like real, real record company people. So they want to know, um, you know, a year in advance what you're going to put out. And they want to know, you know, target markets and marketing and you know, all this <laughs> advertising stuff. And I'm like, dude, I, I just make punk records and put them out. What's the problem? Um, you know, so they didn't like me at all. <laughs> they really didn't. Uh, you know, and I was, I, I was, I was dropped into this system where it was not DIY. It was very corporate. It was very everything you put out has to have lots of paper attached to it with, you know, travel expenses and all this stuff. And I'm like, I, I, my head yeah. was not there. <laughs> totally not yeah. there. Um, and they made the mistake of giving me a corporate credit card. Uh, so, so I would just go to the record store and buy four hundred dollars in CDs. I'm like, oh, this is research, you know. So, <laughs> I mean, I did. I, I didn't get terribly excessive, but you know, you don't give a 25 year old kid making punk records a, a credit card with a ten thousand dollar limit. You just don't do it. Um, yeah. So, uh, yeah, it was kind of obvious. Not only that they were gonna shaft me they shafted the sixpence on the richer they shafted mm -hmm. circle of mm -hmm. dust uh six feet deep um all these bands you know I, the good thing was i was able to get most of my bands out of their contracts before yeah. i left so they could go do whatever they wanted the huntingtons had finished their contract 121 was uh i won off left out i think we had three records sign but you know I, I was just kind of like you know i won't tell anyone if you don't tell anyone just go do what you want to do you know yeah um six feet deep broke up uh duralux the only thing i regret with duralux is i wasn't able to get them their catalog uh the two records they did for flying tart are buried in their vault uh yeah. but crystal bear was able to go to do something else so it all worked out um for the band. Once again, I was very heavy hearted about everything that went on. I spent uh, some of my own money from part time jobs to try and get the at least the name back. And mm -hmm. attorneys were not into that. So, um, yeah, I pretty much had a nervous breakdown at age like in 98. And yeah. I left Nashville for a couple Jeez. of years. So that was the end of Flying Tart. Yeah. Yeah. The Hunt Huntington's have mentioned that, uh, that, um, Brandon signed them on the same contract that you had. So they actually got a much better contract than anyone else at Tooth and Nail. <laughs> yeah. That, the thing that, uh, there was something that came into play. I want to say in 95, 96 called Sound Scan. And mm -hmm. a long story short, Sound Scan was a way of tracking record sales that was hard numbers. Whereas yeah. before that, record stores, Tower or whoever, would say, oh, yeah, they would report back to the record companies. Oh, we sold 10 copies of this. And yeah. usually those numbers were way off. I mean, way <laughs> off. I, I think it might have even been 94 because it was like overnight, 
SoundScan was reporting actually every time a record barcode was scanned, that was a counted sale. So you had things like you had, you know, hair metal was still big at the time in 94. So bands like Extreme and Poison, their, their record sales bottomed out. But all of a sudden there's these bands like, like who is in, uh, NWA? Who is, uh, who's Nirvana? We never heard of this band. Who, you know, and you saw Garth Brooks overnight going to the top 10 and finding out that he was selling records in New York not just Nashville. Um, so all that happened. I mean, like the switch was turned on and hard numbers came into being. Um, hmm. And uh, that that really revolutionized uh, the record industry. And so with Huntington's, actually, I think with all the, the bands that I signed, I signed them to, they would be paid royalties on SoundScan, not on... Hmm what would shipped because it would affect the bands the same as it affect the record labels. So if the Huntington ships under the old system, the previous contracts, if they ship 500 records and 300 came back, then the band would owe the record label those sales. Yeah. And because you'd already paid them for that. So um, I learned from talking to Sixpence on the Richer and Circle of Dust specifically, because they were in that, uh, they were drowning in that with REX. They owed more money they would ever be able to pay back. Um, so I made sure with the bands that I signed, they would get paid on sound scan numbers. And I gave the, each band the option. You can either get paid actual money or you can get paid in product, which product, you know, that makes them more money. I mean, they get, yeah. get the same amount. But, you know, do you want $500 in cash or do you want $500 in CDs that you can then go sell on the road for $15 each? So that was kind yeah. of a no-brainer. And, uh, yeah, I had forgotten about that, but uh, uh, good on them. They did have a better deal than any of the, yeah. the uh, other bands on Tooth & Nail. Yeah, they also mentioned that you taught him, them how to, how to use SoundScan. So oh, yeah. No, SoundScan, I mean, I, I think that was... Yeah, I mean that made the record industry a lot more honest for sure. Yeah. Yep. You've mentioned that you know already that that there's a uh, was it Durlux you said that you have a whole album that's recorded that's. Yep. How much how much unrecorded stuff is there, and does that do you have that, or does Hasbro own that? <laughs> I mean, technically, uh, because it was under the contract, you could say that. One Entertainment owns it, but they don't know yeah. that they own it. So, uh, you know, yeah, uh, it's kind of like finding $5 on the sidewalk, you know? Uh, <laughs> yeah, I mean, I have a good bit of stuff unreleased. Um, the fun stuff, I mean, there's there was so much that was talked about, and there were some things that were actually done that haven't been mm -hmm. today. I have still have a, a box of dats. Um, I have that original Duralux record. I know I have some Huntington stuff. I have Huntington's Duralux and Alika live at Cornerstone. Uh, oh, cool. There are three Cornerstone uh, performances that the Huntington's might have released theirs. I don't know. But uh, yeah. yeah, I have that. I actually have this i you know cuz i i had plans for compilations and all kinds of side projects but um once again platinum made it very clear they weren't going to do any more records you know with yeah. me they were only going to release the stuff that was in the can um 
uh, even then they didn't, you know, Duralux, they didn't release, even though right. we had pressed some test copies. Um, there is a mix by, a remix by Clay Scott from Circle of Dust of Fluffy's, oh gosh, what was the song uh, they had on like their first or second record? Um, my baby left me, she took the TV. I mean, there's a, there's actually a Circle of Dust mix <laughs> yeah, with E.A. Yeah. Allen casting a demon out of someone. Like, and I'm like, <laughs> that has to show up somewhere, dude. I mean, I have to, I have to get that out somewhere. There's, there's just crazy stuff like that. Um, I know Alika, well, um, Kevin131 from Alika did all the music. We were going to do a cover of Sick of You by Guar. Um, and we, uh, he did all the music for it. And it was going to be me, Chris Colbert, and Clank. Um, <laughs> then there was going to be a like a super group that would be Zach from Joe Christmas, Clank, Chris Colbert, Tess Wiley, and they were going to call the project Smart and Handsome. Uh, and I, that would have been that would have been a flipping amazing record. Uh, <laughs> who knows? Maybe there's still yeah. hope. Everybody's still alive and doing stuff. So true. Yeah, I'm trying to think if there's anything else. I'm sure there's something out there that uh, I did have Alika record that cover of the Reflex that wound mm -hmm. up on their Gray Dot record. Um, okay, because yeah, you know, I had an idea to do a Sesame Street cover EP, uh, Bay City Rollers, and Duran Duran, and <laughs> um, it just so happened that uh, another label that Chris was working for took the Duran Duran idea and they put that record out a couple of years. Well. A year or so after I was planning it. Would would that be Grey Dot or No no, no it was a mainstream okay. label. They had like um Okay. Some ska bands. Uh, Mojo, I think was the name of the label. Huh. Yeah. No, I don't know them. Okay. All right, anything else you want to talk about before we uh, uh I've got two last questions here, but they're just they're just fun questions. Anything else you want to touch on? Mm. I can't think of anything. I mean, I am kind of interested. I mean, if you're the people who listen to this and subscribe to your channel, I would like to know their thoughts about Flying Tart. Um, yeah. I would like to know, you know, is there is there a market for this stuff still? Did, did it mean as much to other people as it meant to you? Um, I had a great time, you know, making this stuff. It was painful and it was amazing at the same time yeah. um to be alive and even in, in nashville at the time because people would always come through and stay at our house uh i connected brandon Ebel to his uh music business attorney who was out of mm. nashville uh i remember talking to brandon when uh, i was still working for rex and um a lot of people don't know uh two of his records actually got mainstream distribution through rex um the starflyer 59 their first record and yeah was it wish for eden i think was the name of the band yeah that was, that was, that was both, the first two release they went they went through the relativity pipeline via rex so there was a there was a connect early on um and when brandon came to town he he stayed at our house yeah um 
so yeah, I, I, I can tell you that it's 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 obviously a very niche um, market. Like like our podcast, there's actually a few more podcasts like this that we didn't know about when we started this one. Mm-hmm. <laughs> um, um, but there's there's a hand, there's there's probably two or three others that that do similar things. Um, and uh, I can't say that's a huge market. It's obviously a very niche market. But the people who who are who were around then and appreciate this stuff are, are very passionate about it obviously as cool. as you can probably see from the sales of uh <laughs> of, of like the julies and the merlis forest re-releases and all that kind of stuff you know well <laughs> so. i will i will plug what i'm doing now working for spiro yeah. pictures s-p-e-r-o pictures uh okay. we have a rumble channel spiropictures.com if you want to see what i'm up to we do currently three podcasts uh, they have fully uh, produced and released three documentaries as well as other stuff. But those are the ones that have the most heat on them right now. One is called selection code. It's uh, it deals with um, uh, voter uh, voting machine integrity. Um, and it has some really cool interviews. They also have one called um, reawaken, uh, which is a series. It's docu series. They've done number one. We're in post on number two, and there'll be two more. Uh, but that that chronicles the Reawaken tour, Reawaken America tour, uh, with General Flynn and Clay Clark. Uh, so that is out. You can find that on the Rumble channel. And they have one called The Trump I Know, which is um, a, a documentary about Donald Trump and the women who surround him, business, political, and family, and their relationship to Donald Trump. It's kind of put out to um, dilute all the womanizing nonsense that was put out about him. Um, and then we, so we have one podcast uh, that we do Monday, Wednesday, Friday live, and it's called uh, Cutting Room Floor. It takes all of these interviews because we literally have hundreds of hours of interviews with so many people, um, and we're putting all the stuff that didn't make it into the documentaries into this podcast we do one called uh ron uncut which will take the entire interview in its entirety uncut put it out and then we have one i don't know if your viewers know of someone named mel k but mel k has a she's a she is out of new york very much a jewish new york woman (laughs) you know uh and she covers all kinds of different uh topics but she had a previous career in Hollywood. She's been in so many movies. Um, and she, we've done, we're doing one with her that launched this week called The Real Hollywood, Real History of Hollywood, uh, where we're actually talking about like what, not how Hollywood paints itself, but the real history, like what really happened, what, what really happened to Kubrick? Was he killed or was, did he have a heart attack? <laughs> you know, I mean, because she had the inside track to uh, a lot of the nefarious stuff that went on in Hollywood. So we're talking about the real history of Hollywood. Um, and then I'm actually looking to do, because I have a music business history and, and a lot of contacts, mid-December, uh, I'm going to ha- launch one through Spiro Pictures called what the heck happened to the music business where I'll be talking to <laughs> Steve Hennelon, Chris Gomer, Clank, yeah. and all these people. Um, and, but I am kind of curious. I have toyed with, and this is another thing like your, 
your listenership and viewership could uh, chime in on. I have ideas about a Flying Tart podcast. One would just be yeah. uh, Starball Contribution as a radio show. Now, it wouldn't be called <laughs> that, but it would be like, right. if I was still doing college radio, here's what it would sound like. So you'd hear mm. songs, you know, answering machine tapes, uh, you know, ads from the 60s, radio ads, that kind of stuff. Um, I'm, but I'm kind of curious as to if people would really like that before I put my mm -hmm. time into it. Um, and then uh, an interview type thing with the aforementioned people, except we just talk about personal stuff like, you know, what was your relationship with Clank and what did you guys do that was goofy and crazy? You know, yeah. uh, Chris Colbert once caught lizards and put them in DC Talk storing bus. You know, <laughs> that kind of stuff. Uh, so I'm thinking about that. I'd be interested if there would be an audience for that. Uh, but what are your last two questions? Okay, you ready? Now, the first one might be like uh, asking to pick a favorite child. But uh, what what is your favorite uh, Flying Tart release? I still go back to Starball and the Christmas record. And I, I listen yeah. to that stuff and I'm like... It's like really good. I mean, I, it is. I think the interstitial <laughs> stuff in between the songs was yes. really cool, and that I actually mined Light, which had been absorbed by Platinum Entertainment, and found that Don Ho track and got in a lot of trouble with the record company for putting it on a record that they didn't know about. <laughs> but it all worked out at the end because it was, it was a donation that uh, Don Ho had done to, um, oh, uh oral roberts for one of his records so okay. yeah um i still listen to that and i think that's a good record yeah i, I mean I, I will tell you that starball contribution was it was both a little it was it was eye-opening at the time you know because like i said a, a lot of the history that we hear about that time mm -hmm. comes from you know orange county still right and that kind of stuff and 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 like I said, Jay and I are from small town Texas. We're from different places actually, but we met in college. Um, but we're, we're we are we have no we have no context for anything for any of this stuff, right? We're just we just show up at our local music our local Christian bookstore, and and there's a music section, and we're just buying stuff, right? And so when Starval uh, contribution comes out, it's uh, you know we had both grown up very sheltered lives, and so as some of the covers were obviously the first time we're ever hearing some of that stuff. Oh wow. You know, <laughs> and so it was, it, you know, it, it was a lot of fun and it was crazy and, and it, it, it introduced us to new worlds of music, you know, and so, yeah, it was, yeah. Well, thanks. Yeah. I mean, yeah, the stuff was fun to put together and even to this day, I'm like, wow, a Christian music store carried that? That's hilarious. <laughs> right. <laughs> when the Striper record came out, that's when my parents knew I wasn't just farting around in nashville they're like all right our son really has a job that's good uh, the striper record too i mean i think there's some yeah. really good cuts on that actually there was a i don't know if you've heard of this but there's a movie called electric jesus they were originally going to yes. call it yeah yeah i know the director i was i was okay. actually uh gonna be the music supervisor for that movie a couple of years ago before i moved to los i moved to los angeles and then i moved here to tulsa yeah. Uh, so I lived in Los Angeles for five years. When I was there, uh, the director is a friend of my sister's in South Carolina, and I was going to be the music supervisor for that movie. So mm -hmm. I had read the script and all that, and I know I had a direct effect. If you've seen the movie, the the the, the very first 
song the the band plays is makes me want to sing. I know uh-huh. that the Striper tribute, uh, Alika's version, affected that movie. So I'm like, yes, yeah, yeah. that's yeah. I I did enjoy the movie. It was it was a lot of fun. <laughs> All right, last question, and it's related to the last question. Uh, um, just in general, favorite '90s uh, Christian rock album. Oh. I I was a big believe it or not I was a big fan of Petra's Beat the System. I mean that's another really? that's late '80s. That's not really '90s. It is. Um, but I the, another idea I had was to 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 do a cover of that entire album. Have one band like do each one of them, and then yeah. I I was uh, promoting the Pacifist record, and the two uh, for REX and the two producers heard my idea and did that. Petra tribute for Sarsong. Um, okay. Yeah, that so many people were on. Um, the favorite 90s, man. Um, there's, I mean, there's more tracks that I remember than actual records. I remember okay. really liking uh, Starflyer 59's song Sundown. I still think mm. that is just like the, one of the smoothest sounding songs mm-hmm. of that era. And I actually. Oh, go ahead. I was going to say that whole album, uh, um, Fashion Focus, is one of my favorites. Yeah, oh, I yeah. I actually used that song. I called Brandon and got the permission to use that song in the short film I did, and it really, okay. it really, you know, yeah. put the cherry on top for that one. Um, <laughs> nice. Let's see. Uh, the, you know, one or two sixpence uh, tracks that uh, went out after. Um, they left REX. I was actually in the room, by the way, for that meeting. That meeting was heavy. That was a heavy, heavy meeting. Um, yeah. I, someone needs to tell their story. Maybe I will. I don't know. But uh, that <laughs> it's, it's... people need to know what happened in that room. That was a heavy <laughs> moment. Um, let me see. I liked Steve Taylor. I mean, I thought yeah. Squint. I don't think there was really a bad song on that record. That was that was really good. Um, still a Striper fan, always will be. Um, yeah, but I mean, as far as Christian music's concerned, truthfully, I didn't listen to a lot of Christian music. Um, <laughs> yeah, I mean, even though I had a lot of f- friends in those bands. Um, yeah. Yeah, they're mostly songs are what I remember. Then full records for me it's very you know when you find a record where all the tracks are good you found mm. gold you know and yes. i don't know that i found many of them in the christian biz um i like a lot of uh, but... jesse sprinkle he had a yeah uh, uh i can't or 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 uh... Lou. i thought that sin was a good record i don't know if Sounds that was the 90s record. or not but uh, it was yeah that was a really good record um and then there was something he had after that, and I can't remember, but I know there was one track on there that, to this day, I'm like, that's still just a great song. Um, there was a project. Uh, Ro- I'm sorry? Rose Blossom, Bro- Rose Blossom Punch. Uh, that was a good record, but his brother, didn't his brother do, do one after that? I can't remember. Yeah, I can't remember right now. I can see the cover in my head, but... Um, but yeah, that uh, I remember the first track on that album being really good. Or oh, you're bringing it up right now. 
All I remember is the cover was blue. Um, Aaron Sprinkle. I think it might have been a solo record. I don't know. But, um, oh, you want Aaron? I, got, I brought up Jesse. Let me bring up Aaron. Uh, that one, Moon Traveler. The very first track on that record, that, that was a good track. I still listen to that song. Um, hmm. And uh, I have not heard this album. Yeah. I, mean, I just remember the first track being amazing. Uh, to the point where I'm like, uh, there's a project I'm working on right now, a film project. I'm, if it goes through, if we get the funding for it, I want to see if he can do some music for hmm. uh, you know, if we can use that track. Um, but yeah. Yeah. Very cool. Cool. You want to you plug your stuff again? Yeah. Sparrow Pictures, uh, doing the, the podcast, uh, uh, The Real History of Hollywood with Mel Kay. Um, we're doing uh, Raw and Uncut. And we're doing these things every day except for Sundays. Sunday's the only day we don't do anything. So, uh-huh. uh, and I'm uh, the producer on all that podcast stuff. So that's where my time is right now, allocated. <laughs> yep. Well, very cool. Well, thank you very much, Alex. This is this is this has been a lot of fun. Oh, no, my pleasure, dude. <laughs> Hey, thanks, Alex, for joining us. We had a really good discussion. We really enjoyed it. Yeah, it was a lot of fun. A lot of great information there from back in the day. Puts a lot of things into perspective. Jay, what's uh, what's on the next episode? Well, <laughs> it's a great question, Clifton. Maybe DC yeah. Talks free at last if we can get our asses in gear and get that fully it's, covered. It's a lot to dig into. If, uh-huh. if, if, if everyone doesn't remember this thing from back in the day, there's just... There's a lot of things to talk about on every song, and it's taken us a little bit longer to prepare for this one than normal. <laughs> yep, we were pretty surprised. Um, so, if yeah. it's not that, it might be a mailbag episode. It might be another <laughs> album. We don't know. <laughs> I got a uh, new job, and Clifton's busy with work, too, so uh, we're, we're not as far ahead as we normally are. True. All right. <laughs> Thank you for joining us for another episode of Your Music Saved Us. If you enjoyed your time with us, please leave us a review or share this episode. Visit patreon.com slash ymsu to contribute and get extended episodes and extra episodes. Visit our website, yourmusicsavedus.com to find out all the ways to listen. We're on Twitter, maybe not for long, Instagram, YouTube, and Facebook. Join our Facebook group or follow us to keep up with the latest or interact with us. And send complaints and disagreements to yourmusicsavedus at gmail.com. The music in this episode is the work of lots of different flying tart artists. And it's used (laughs) with apologies, not permission. Some of which I think maybe is still available to buy. Most of it's not. And there's reissues and stuff. So yeah, I mean, we'll we'll put some reissue links in the show notes. Um, But, you know, Fluffy and the Julies have been reissued by Lost in Ohio and... 
who who else? Uh, 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 Tess has had some stuff reissued, and Tess is still making great music. True. Go listen to her stuff on Spotify or wherever else you can stream it or just buy it straight up. Um, yeah, lots of good stuff out there still. Yep. And the Huntingtons are still making good music. Bring them to your city. Yeah, yeah. they're still and they playing have new shows. Out. Yeah. Cool. All right. Bye, everybody. Cuddly toy, the children choke on the eyes. <laughs> I had to laugh. Notice of recall. White Bunny, he was my friend. My little stuffed toy. Kids, anyway. Oh, damn. Yay! <laughs> On the eyes, on the eyes, I had to laugh. On the eyes, I had to laugh.